Welcome to a new edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com and host. And alongside, as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. How you doing, Terry? I am well, David. Good. What did you think of the Super Bowl? And what did you do for the Super Bowl, more importantly? Not much. <laughs> um, I actually didn't watch every single second of it. My wife and I went out to eat. And then we went back and watched a little bit of it. I mean, the nice thing, it was a fun game to watch. And um, I know you mentioned you'd ask about the call. I would not have, I wouldn't have called that whether it's the fourth quarter or the first quarter, actually. Really? Uh, Yeah. Tell me why. I just thought he grabbed them a little bit, but it didn't seem like much compared to some of the other stuff, but maybe that's me. So, all right. It's funny because I was, talking about this during the game with my family we were watching. So I'm, I'm like a hockey referee. And mm-hmm. whenever I get grief about a call like that, I'm like, all right, well, did you have your hand up there? And they say, yes. And I said, did you gain an advantage? And they will say no. And then I will say, well, why did you have your hand up there? Like yeah. you're making it hard on me to do the job. And if, if James Bradbury says he shouldn't have done it, like to me that that I felt like the refs made the right call there, and, I mean, and they, their their job is to probably, make sure that yeah, they, yeah. They, that the Chiefs have a chance to score there. So sorry, Terry, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean <clears throat> everything you said is correct. I mean it probably was pass interference, but there's a lot of things like holding and everything else that go on in every play, and the question is how much of an advantage did that really give the defender? That's how I kind of look at it. Um, officiating, whether you're talking hockey, basketball, uh, anything where there's called a contact, it's a lot more art than science. You know, the, you, and you know, when you're doing the hockey games yourself, you're not going uh, by quote unquote, the book and the rote and it's a feel for the game. At least the good officials, I think were that. And so that, that's the only reason there. And it's correct. I remember there was a game where uh, Amari Cooper got called for offensive pass interference. He pushed off a little bit. And yes, it's correct. But if you really looked at, I looked at that thing a couple times. I don't know how much of an advantage you really gained. You know, both guys are running down. They're running fast. Uh, you know, a big difference with those receivers and, and defensive backs is they're isolated. So it's actually easier to see all that goes on compared to everything everywhere else in football. So you're in the camp of like you have to pick your you have to pick your spots there, and that. That's a, such an important part of the game that maybe you don't throw the flag there. And no, there even more than that, that, I just thought, no, I just thought it was really mild. It was a mild infraction. It's kind of like going 70 to 65. <laughs> I'm serious. That's no, how I, I viewed it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and, if, and if they start pulling everybody over on that, you're going to have a lot of cars on the side of the road. And you're going to have a lot of flags in your uh, <laughs> football field. And on your uh, driving record, too. So Yes, it is. All right, Terry, let's, um, okay. let's move on to the talk of Cleveland these days, the Red Hot Cavaliers, 38-22 and 22 overall. They're the number four seed in the East, and they're one game behind the Sixers for third place, four and a half behind the Celtics. The Cavs have not lost in the month of February, Terry, seven straight wins. What are you seeing? from this team right now that is leading to this streak and, and just the, even last night against San Antonio, a really not good opponent. The Cavs didn't bring their a game and they still found a way to win, which really says something because they probably would not have won that one a year ago. But uh, what are you seeing from this team? Or even earlier in the season, they had a couple of games like that where they played weak teams and kind of played down to the 
level the competition. And then when they try to uh, wake up from their slumber, they were yawning too much to, to get back in the game. First of all, it's a remarkable streak because this time of year, really when the calendar almost turns to February, these guys are thinking all-star break and trips to the Bahamas or whatever they're going to do. Because remember, they live in a whole other world. I mean, these guys are not just flying coach somewhere. You know, they're going to be chartering planes. You know, three or four guys get together with their families and off they go. So and they're, you get into that mindset. And then secondly, um, it's a time of the year where you just don't particularly feel like playing a lot of defense. You've been doing it for a whole long, you know, long stretch. And then when you come back and come into March towards April, you start thinking really playoff positioning. And while they're taught, we're talking about playoff positioning, I don't think it feels like it that much to the players till the last 20 games. So the fact that they're playing like the playoffs matter and they're playing like even when they're tired, they're trying to be fresh. And it's just really impressive to me. And Mitchell was not at his best in several of those games in there, and they won anyway, which, of course, I liked it because that meant it was more team ball with the ball going to the big men more often. You see Mobley's game keep expanding. And you see Jared Allen making his usual two out of every three shots he takes. And the and Okoro is fitting in so well with the others. I mean, now they only score six pointers or whatever. It's not a fantasy league. You know, this is not that. It's not prop betting. It's how is your team playing overall? How does he fit? So it's exciting, and it shows that JB really has their attention. And so, Terry, last week the Cavs didn't make a move at the trade deadline, but they are bringing in Danny Green, veteran, mm-hmm. lots of playoff experience. And you're ta- you were just talking about fit, and not only does Danny Green give the Cavs what they need on the floor, but a big reason they went so hard after him after he was bought out by the Rockets is that they, they think he fits in the locker room. And that's a huge part of what this was, wasn't it? Yes, and also defensively, he's pretty good. Now, we'll see. He's coming off a significant knee injury. So we'll see how he's, you know, and you need your legs for your shots. So we'll see how he's shooting the ball, how he's defending. But it's, a, you know, basketball-wise, cap-wise, it's a bargain. It's a $2 million one-year deal. If the knee shot, you let him go. Frankly, if it's we go into April 1st, he's still not doing well. You don't have to play him. Uh, so it it is the perfect move because you give up nothing. You get a chance to have something that's very important to you, and there's really no downside to it. I remember when they had him in here the first time, and as a rookie, I liked him. He was a four-year player at North Carolina, and he could shoot some, and you could just tell he had a chance to be pretty good. And, of course, they kind of – they just didn't embrace him at all. He was a second-round pick. He lets, gets let go, plays a little in the uh, G League, and, of course, the Spurs pick him up, and – he ends up bouncing from good team to good team because of what he does. So that was their move, and along with getting Rubio back, um, and that's an important part of it, even when he's not making shots, just because he, when he goes down and he puts his ball, his hand up for the ball, they throw it to him. Notice that? Mm-hmm. That's an important thing because he could feel the rhythm of the game changing, and a lot of times he's looking to get those big guys involved. Where the younger guards, it's just like, we'll run all the way down there. Let's get up a shot or we'll let me throw a lob. Some kind of, you know, they're, they're in high adrenaline plays where he'd really always talk about the steady heartbeat. 
And Rubio brings that to the game. His shots right now looking really bad. I mean, he's, I don't know whether that's a result of need or just not playing, but I really don't care for that 15 or 20 minutes he's on the court because you have some stats on that. Yeah, yeah, and just I'm kind of grouping Danny Green and Ricky Rubio together in my head a little bit uh, mm-hmm. because, I, and I think what the Cavs are really trying to do when you talk about setting the table for the playoff run here, we've talked many times and it's been written a lot about how this entire starting lineup is 26 or younger, and now you've got Kevin Love, you've got Ricky Rubio, and now Danny Green. Here's three guys who know what the playoffs are about. When things get really rocky and you've gone five possessions without scoring in game five of a series, you've got three guys who can say like, hey, you know what? It's all right. Like, here's what we're going to do. And we've seen Rubio do this a ton this mm-hmm. season. I mean, we, we've talked about his plus minus being one of the best for the number of minutes. But uh, Ashley Bastock, one of our colleagues, wrote a story the other night over the weekend. He, he didn't score a point the other night, but still had such a huge impact on the game. And I think that's something that the Cavs are really going to benefit from is having Danny Green, Ricky Ricky Rubio, guys who've been around long enough to know what the playoffs are about. I mean, I think Chris Fedor had a stat in one of his stories that um, Danny Green has been in 165 playoff games, yeah. and the entire Cavs roster has been in 215, and that includes Kevin Love. So you're bringing mm-hmm. in a guy with 165 games. So I think that's going to be pretty important, right? And – the nice thing is Rubio played with Mitchell in Utah, so they came in with a uh, with a relationship. Because as great as Mitchell has been, and he's been a great player for them, he still often shoots too often from three-point range. Because I'm just saying that when the alternative is him going to the basket, and he just about either gets fouled, scores, or scores and gets fouled. He can get to the rim anytime he wants. That's what Mike Fratello, I remember, told me that day they made the deal. He can get to the rim anytime he wants. And I'm like, okay. But I've even if there's two guys, he's so strong. Usually he, he draws a foul, or it should have been a foul. It, it may not be called. And that's a good thing where I think Rubio could say, hey, uh, Donovan, just take, take him to the rim. Take him to the rim. And that's what they need more to do that, to put some pressure on them. Because if they get into too much of those three-pointers um, and they're not making them, then suddenly other teams running down down the court, the pace is faster than they want to play, and they lose their big men in the process. And I know that sounds like old-school basketball. Fine. It works pretty well for this team. Yeah, geez, if there's an old-school team in the NBA, this yeah. is it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way they play, the way they're built. Um. So, Terry, really big game in terms of the NBA landscape tomorrow night. I know it's the last game before the All-Star break, but the Cavs are playing Wednesday night at the Sixers at 730. And this one is on ESPN. And I I kind of have a two-part question for you. Number one, what are you expecting tomorrow night? I do wonder if the Cavs were maybe looking forward to this game. Uh, And we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. But against the Spurs, I wonder if they were looking ahead to this Sixers game a little bit. And then the second part of it, with this one being on ESPN tomorrow night, do you think the Cavs are getting enough national attention for what they're doing? Uh, I, you can't turn on the TV every night without seeing the, you know, the Brooklyn Nets and the, and the LA Lakers on every night. And the Cavs have only been on a handful of national games. And so, I don't know, it's kind of a two-part question. What do you think about tomorrow night? And then do you think the Cavs are getting enough attention? Well, 
In terms of the national attention, the problem is the Cavs are drama-free. ESPN, all of them, they love drama. Kyrie, LeBron, Lakers are a mess. Brooklyn is a mess. How's Kyrie going to be with Dallas? You know, it just sounds like that. And they like the cliffhangers. They like the, the possibility of not only he's going to be the Dallas, but will Kyrie be with Dallas next year? Oh, will he go to the Lakers? And what about Russell Westbrook? And, and on and on. That's what they like, where these guys are a real basketball team. Secondly, they're in Cleveland. So they are, they're drama-free playing in Cleveland. Um, my view, and I hear that a lot of times, I don't care what the national media looks at the team that I'm covering when it's really good and the fans here embrace it. Fine. It'll be our toy to play with. And it's, <laughs> it's the same thing like with the Guardians. This is our toy. I don't need somebody in Bristol, Connecticut at ESPN or someone in the network in New York telling me about my team that I've been watching a lot more than they have. So it will be nice for people to see them in the matchup. And Embiid's given them a hard time over the years. Um, and also, I have to admit, I absolutely hate James Harden's game. I just despise it. it he, 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 he hogs the ball, all that. And I look at the numbers. And they're phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, they're just phenomenal. He's averaging 21 points. He's shooting 45 from the field, 39 on threes, 11 assists, and six and a half rebounds. You could say he doesn't defend very well. He doesn't. But those numbers are like, you know, that's like Magic Johnson only or something. It's amazing what you're talking. When you're talking about six and a half rebounds and nearly 11 assists, you know, and B's averaging 33 points. He's shooting 54%, 10 rebounds. Uh, they have a player, Maxie's a terrific player for them. Scores a lot off the bench. Uh, Tobias Harris is very underrated. Uh, and Doc, you know, some people say he's, he's overrated as a coach or whatever. He's still pretty good. And when he's got players that are listening to him, and by the way, they rank fourth in defense. I was looking. So they're good at it too. It's a great matchup. Um, and this is just so nice. We're talking about Cavs being relevant, having big-time matchups in the East, playoffs looming, making moves to try and be good for the playoffs. Uh, they have legitimate stars. I think Darius is playing just so well since the first of the year. You know, he's finally stopped getting hit in the face. I mean, that helps. And he's just so under control. Some of the moves he makes where he goes to the basket, almost flat-footed and kind of the running one-hander banks him in. Lenny Wilkins played that way, only he was left-handed and mm -hmm. sort of grounded. And it's just such a smart game, knowing all the angles off the boards. Uh, I mean, I just – I love the team. I love, I love the way they play. I love the way the coach coaches. doesn't mean it's a perfect thing, but this is really basketball. Yeah, it's all true, Terry. I, I, I want to ask you, but you mentioned Embiid for a second. You watch that guy and, well, two things on him. Teams send double teams at him and he splits them and scores anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird, like how my mind works whenever I watch him. I think about the Cavs and the first person I think of is Kendrick Perkins. And like the Cavs brought him in to give them some big foul help. Like he was in there to, 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 muck up the lane and give them six fouls against whatever big they were going against in the playoffs. And I, I just, do you think the Cavs are built in the playoffs to stop or at least contain somebody like him? Or how do you think they are, how are they going to approach Embiid tomorrow night? And do you think 
that will give us any clues about how they might do it in the playoffs. They, they certainly have the two seven footers, which is a great start, but he's such a load. How, how do you see them handling him or trying to? The, the problem with that theory of the get the big guy and he'll whack him is that half of the time MB's outside the lane. He's taking medium range jumpers. He takes some threes. True. He's so athletic. Um, that's why you're actually, you're probably better off, even though Jared Allen's had a hard time with him. He might be better equipped with Mobley coming over to help than because if you have some big heavy guy, he's just going to sit in the lane and, and Embiid's going to score a lot from the outside. Um, you know, the, the only thing that's hurt Embiid ever is injuries. I remember when the Cavs brought him in, he actually hurt his foot in their workouts um, before that draft. And then already when they were looking at the x-rays, and I can't remember if it was a foot or knee or both, whatever he had, it looked very bad. Because if you look, he hardly played early on. And then the astounding thing, David, is this guy was not that skilled of a basketball player back then. He is now. So as you said, he's a load. But when you're averaging 33 points in the NBA, nobody knows how to guard you. You just don't, oh, want, him to get, yeah. you don't want him to get 50. I mean, that's what you don't want. But, so you think that the Cavs are actually set up with the way his game has changed, probably as well as anybody to, yeah. to defend him with, yeah, the, he, with with the way they're built, the two seven-footers help, helping, coming over. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Like, so I can remember they tried this too when um, they got knocked out. The Cavs got knocked out by Dwight Howard in, I think it was 2009. So they brought in Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, what a joke that was. I'm here to have a ring for the king and all this stuff. And it did. It, it, Shaq played like 40 games. He was like 40 pounds overweight. Um, and it, it didn't work. And so, really, you just need to have your best players go after somebody like Embiid. I'm, I'm just, uh, and I'm interested to see how Mitchell plays in that game. You know, Mitchell's the one, one guy, he has played 39 playoff games. He's averaged 28 points in the playoffs for his career. So, he has a fairly extensive playoff experience. All right. Well, Terry, that'll be a good one tomorrow night, Wednesday, Cavs at Sixers. It is on ESPN as well as the local channels. And then it's into All-Star Weekend. And coming out of the All-Star Weekend, the Cavs won't be back until Thursday, the 23rd of February, when they will host the Denver Nuggets down at the Fieldhouse. And that will be another good one. So anything else on the Cavs, Terry? You know, you mentioned the Nuggets. We're talking about big guys. And even though he can score in the post, um, their big guy, Jorgic, the, the big Jokic? guy. Yep. Jokic, yeah. He goes out to the high post, passes great. I mean, he's a combination of old school and new school. And the Nuggets are, are just a lot of fun to watch. Mike Malone, uh, son of Brandon Malone, Brendan Malone, excuse me, uh, wonderful young coach. He was here as an assistant uh, for a while. I forgot which regime that was. Um, and it's just good to see that. They're a fun team to watch. I'm just uh, – I'm really, I'm just into the NBA because now I'm sitting there watching Popovich coach a 14 and 44 team. That was her record, 14 and 44. You know, Pop's going to the Hall of Fame. He's a great coach. But the old, we've talked about this before, and I'll keep going back. You can get bad and stay bad for a long time in the NBA, even if you're coached by Greg Popovich. I got to tell you, though, Terry, even with that record, that team shows up and they play yes, the they right do. way. 
they might not have all the talent in the world, but they still bring it. And he he won't settle for anything less. And that's what JB Bickerstaff was talking about. Like we have our standard, you know, and the Spurs have their standard that they're going to play to in, in talent or not. And hey, you know what? I remember when uh, Greg Popovich was in his earlier days with the Spurs, and they had David Robinson and Tim Duncan was coming out in the draft, mm-hmm. and all these reporters were asking him like well, you can't take another seven-footer. What are you going to do with the pick? And he kept saying, well, why can't we take a, another seven-footer and play them both? Mm-hmm. And we, we all saw what happened there. And they might be the team that ends up with uh, Victor Wimbayama, the French phenom, seven-foot-four, who can do it all. And that'll turn things around real fast. And, and the standard will still be the standard with Greg Popovich coaching that team. It will so. be. But if you don't get something like that, you could just stay bad for a long time. See, that's the interesting thing about what happened here. There was no number one draft pick for the Cavs. Um, Garland was five. Uh, well, Sexton was an eight. Um, Mobley was three. Now, Mobley should have been number one, but he was three. And they, Allen was picked up in a trade. They made the Mitchell deal. So, yes, they were lottery picks and very good ones because you could mess up in the lottery a lot, too. But it, it just there wasn't like a Tim Duncan or David Robinson, as you mentioned, or um, is this it's really phenomenal what happened here when you look at the overall landscape of the NBA. Well, and as you've written, Terry, it all traces back here to the to the Allen trade. Yep. And then you can trace everything that's happened from that and it, it's just been really something to watch come together. So all right, well, enjoy the All-Star Game weekend. It's always fun to watch these guys just out there playing for the joy of it and having a great time. That'll be in Utah this weekend. And then, as we said, the Cavs are home against Denver next Thursday, the 23rd. So, all right, Terry, should we take a break? Sure. All right, let's do it. When we come back, we are going to get into some Cleveland State basketball, and we have more emails from our listeners about times they played against notable athletes during their younger days. We'll read some of those. We had some great ones last week and some more good ones this week. Uh, and we've got a good Hey Terry question. We're also going to talk about Terry's faith in you, Colin, for this week. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, we were talking about the Super Bowl earlier, and I guess it's always Brown season here, and we've got the combine coming up at the end of the month. The Browns will not have a first-round pick. Uh, what do you want to talk about with the Browns? Well, instead of me answering, you watched the Super Bowl and you thought about the Browns and you thought what? I'm asking you that question. What did I? What do I think about the Browns after watching the Super Bowl? Hmm. Right. That's that's what you're asking. Yeah. Me? Anything to so, jump out? I, I don't think they're that far away from getting there, and I know that's a crazy thing to say. But you look at what both of those teams had: offensive line that can protect a quarterback. Yes. Uh, a quarterback who can make big plays in clutch moments. Yes. A defense. I mean, we don't really know what the defense is going to look like under Jim Schwartz, but do you have playmakers on defense? I mean, Miles Garrett would have been the best defensive player on the, on the, on the field the other day. No doubt about it. Right. Um, They've got some really important pieces and I just think they need better coaching on defense, some accountability on defense and some more creative flare in the red zone and i think they they're not far away if they can just get a speedy receiver and some defensive line help in free agency i don't know am i crazy you're hopeful (laughs) 
That's going to be my uh, epitaph. Crazy but hopeful. (laughs) Um, There's another line to Black Gospel song, and I forgot who it was. Somebody like Marvin Sapp or something. He sings, I ain't perfect, but I'm faithful. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a faithful Browns, hopeful. And it goes under the line of, you know, when I've had players and all that say me, you you don't care whether we win or not. You'd rather just have controversy or whatever that sells papers or get you hits. No, winning would get us a ton of hits and a ton of sale of paper. You get a Browns team at least within sniffing distance of the Super Bowl and watch what happens. And unfortunately, I think unless they have a very long nose, they're not quite that sniffing distance just yet. So, um, but who knew that with Jalen Hurts and Philadelphia would be able to do that? They would retool like that. And it also goes to show you that, for me, the frustrating part if you're a Browns fan is that the rules are set up that anyone can do it if you do it right. Well, absolutely. I mean, look what happened. I mean, there's no Tom Brady on this team, but things change quickly in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady goes to the to the Bucks and they win a Super Bowl, like, right away. Yeah. And – there are some good players on this team, and I just thought the defensive coaching was so lacking last year that if they get that fixed, it's going to make a huge difference, and it's going to give the offense more opportunities. I just, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying it can happen, and I'm not saying they're going to make the Super Bowl, but I think they could be right there pretty quickly, like in a year or two. You can go from seven and ten to ten and seven. I, I'll buy that. Um. I'm not going to go anything farther than that, but um, I'm just, I was just watching that. Now that turned out to be modern football in terms of how much the scoring was, you know, some of these other playoff games or not. So I just wonder what you, you thought, because I have to admit after a while thinking about the Browns from last season, going to this season was so far away and they haven't made any other moves. My mind becomes numb. I'm serious. I just can't really come up with anything knew uh, about them until they start to, we go to free agency and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just thought everything that could have gone wrong last year did. I mean, the fact that they had the 25th ranked run defense in the league, it shouldn't have been that bad. And, and throwing Deshaun Watson in after 11 games. And it was basically a six game preseason as we've talked about. I just think it was just a, such a season of transition. They should have been, they should have won eight or nine games. They gave the Jets game away. I'm just thinking in terms of talent and projecting toward the future here. It, it couldn't have gone any worse, really, if you think about Although it. Although Brissett gave them a lot more than anybody could have anticipated, but it's, it still didn't help. That's always the problem with the Browns. Seriously, the, the, the parts are far greater than the whole. And until it, those pieces sometimes fit together in a more, more coherent way, uh, we're, we're going to be frustrated. But I am happy about uh, – uh, the fact that you can look and see, I mean, Nick Chubb would have been the best running back in that game, for example. Mari Cooper would have been one of the best receivers. Uh, as you said, Garrett could have been the best, best pass rusher. This I meant about the different pieces. Um, the offensive line would not have been embarrassed in that game at all. Um, so I don't know if they could have done anything at all. Both those quarterbacks probably would have thrown 45 points on them, but we'll see if that changes. Well, that's what the offseason's for, and and but, but I do think Jim Schwartz is going to be the most important person uh, in that locker room next year. I think he can elevate everybody's performance, so we'll see. But 
Um, all right, Terry, let's move on to Cleveland State basketball. You're doing a two-part column this week about Cleveland State, and they are going into a Friday game against Wright State at 7 o'clock down at the Wolstein Center. They're 16-11. They were picked to finish seventh in the Horizon League, and they're 11-5, and five, and they're in second second place. Mm-hmm. You have been talking to people there just about what a surprise this has been this season. And, and Scott Garrett, the AD, was kind of giving you some background on just how it's happened. Well, when you look at the previous two years, uh, I think they were 39-19. and 19. They, went to the, they won the Horizon League regular season title both years. Went to the NCAA once, NIT the other time with uh, Dennis Case. Then Dennis Case takes off from Missouri, which uh, I had some – Cleveland State fans go, oh, you know, when we get a good coach, you lose one. No, this is the first time in the Division One era a Cleveland State coach has left Cleveland State for a better job. This is actually what happens in other good major programs. They come and they get your coach. Well, it's so, funny. You, you said you can look it up in your column if yeah. you want to look that up. And I did. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought that Gary Waters had left for a better job, but he didn't. You're right. No, he retired. Yeah, he yeah. retired. Yeah. I mean, at least I mean, granted, he 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 did a good job here. But his last two years, uh, Gary struggled when the transfer portal and graduate transfers and all this stuff started to become a big deal. Uh, it just was very hard for him to kind of get his, his mind around that. He, he lost 20 games each of his last two years where uh, before he was knocking out 18 to 22 wins. Uh, so the question then was for Scott Garrett, okay, we've lost Dennis Gates, and Gates takes two of his top players with him. He takes Demoy Hodge and takes Troy Gomillion, who are all Horizon League. So who do you get to come in here? And it was – I remember when I heard first heard they were interviewing this guy, Daniel Robinson. I was like, Daniel who? Of course, I was the same thing with Dennis Gates, Dennis who – you know, just one of these kind of career assistants. And Daniel Robinson seems to have the same kind of touch that Dennis Gates has. In fact, if they could end up with a winning record this year, unless I looked it up incorrectly, I don't think any first-year coach in a Division One time of Cleveland State had a winning record in his first year. Hmm. So that would be – because usually when there's a coaching change, you know, guys leave and – or you – you have a coaching change because the team was terrible. So they lost 70% of their scoring. They brought a kid in, Christian Aranuna, and he came. He originally was recruited to play it. He's actually he's from the Netherlands. He played on the U.S. only two years. Then he was recruited by Kansas, and he was not ready for that. He was there a couple of years, transferred to Iowa State, which is where Daniel Robinson was an assistant. He was coming off the bench, getting about five points a game. Sometimes he started. And then at the end of the season, the head coach at Iowa State told him that you're probably not even going to play as much as you did this past year. Robinson took the job at Cleveland State. He went with them. Well, he's dropped down into the Horizon League. It's not just a matter of uh, dropping lower in class. Remember, this guy was recruited to play at Kansas for a reason. That player is finally starting to come out. And he's averaging 15 points and seven. That's been the big game changer for them. And Daniel Robinson is right out of – I'll tell you one thing. Maybe the Browns aren't going to play any defense, but the basketball teams in this town play defense. <laughs> and they – I mean, he's pounding defense away from them. He, I mean, in the offseason, he had him rolling tires around the soccer field and, and doing all these other things to get physically stronger. I mean, he's uh, – 
he's old school in one way, but he's got the Dennis Gates flavor for, you know, they have the, the academics council and they have this council and they've got the guys with their own ideas. So, uh, and by the way, he's mad because the GPA came in at 2.92. The goal was three and he's upset about that. And, he, and they only had four kids on a dean's list. He said, we should have more because Gates set that standard of higher. And they want to keep it going. And so, in other words, they didn't do this by bringing in a bunch of blockheads that could play some ball. They really didn't. Gates didn't do it, and this guy hasn't done it. So that's why uh, I, I love the mid-major level because of stuff like that. You know, we're not talking about NIL money and all those other things. Well, and you've used this term in your in your writings about Cleveland State the last couple of years, Terry. It's a place where people go to get opportunity. Like, yeah. they never get a chance. Because, you know, they're, they're coaching. They're a longtime assistant, as you said, or they're a player, and maybe they uh, fell out of favor with the coaching staff or they had an injury, and they're like, all I need is a chance. And Daniel Robinson, I think, said that in your, in your column. Yeah. All yeah. I needed was a chance. And you bring together a bunch of people who are really – wanting to grab that chance, grab that opportunity. And, and that's what happens. It's really, it really can come together. Dennis Gates interviewed, I don't know, three or five times for head coaching jobs and didn't get one anywhere. Daniel Robinson is the same thing. He said at least three. He's trying to remember how many times he's been rejected, frankly. And, and they were not, he asked me not to name the schools, but they were mid-major schools. These were not big time schools. Um, and 22 years, you know, he started at Arkansas Little Rock. That's, he went to Indian Hills Junior College, was hardly recruited out of school. Then he went to Arkansas Little Rock, played fairly well there. Then he was a grad assistant. He lived in the dorm with the players. He mopped the floors. He monitored the study halls. He's not coming out of the Duke, uh, Kentucky, the Blue Blood coaching line. You know, this guy, Illinois State, Loyola, Chicago, you know, those kind of places. So, uh, And just like Dennis Gates, they – they got to know each other quite on these junior college coaching runs and everything else. So, uh, hey, my hat's off to Scott Garrett. He, I think he's found another winner. And, boy, that's not easy because you bring a assistant who's never been a head coach anywhere, you really don't know what you're getting. You don't know. All right. Well, the Vikings are playing, again, just to recap, they're playing Wright State at Friday on Friday at 7. They're a game behind the leaders in the horizon. So um, we'll see how that one goes. So, all right, Terry. You got us off on a very fun tangent a couple of weeks ago. We started talking about notable athletes we'd played against in our younger days, and we've been inviting listeners to send in emails about notable people they've played against, and we got some more. We, we had some really good ones last week and got some more this week. So you ready to run through some of these? Mm-hmm. All right. This first one is from Ron Taylor. He's from Powell, Ohio, and he says, first, I love the podcast. Thanks for that, Ron. Being the same age as Terry, we share similar Cleveland memories, have enjoyed all of his books too. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to be a fairly decent athlete in Columbus in the early 70s. Playing for Columbus Brookhaven, I grew up playing Little League with Archie and Ray Griffin. Hmm. They ended up at Columbus Eastmore, so we then played against each other. But I also played against and guarded Fred Saunders in basketball. He played for Phoenix and Boston in the NBA. I played football against Doug Smith of Columbus Northland. He was a center. He spent 12 or 13 years with the L.A. Rams and was all pro. Cedric Brown of Columbus Linden. Um, He's got some other ones in here, Terry. M.L. Harris of Columbus North. And I grew up playing baseball for Coach Chick O'Neill, who played with his sons Mike and Pat while watching their younger brother, Paul O'Neill, into the player he became with the Reds and the Yankees. His sister, Molly, was a journalist and writer for the New York Times, food and restaurant writer. Keep up the great work, and I love the show. Thanks for that, Ron. So that's quite a list. That's, that's several. That's some career. Yeah. Uh, Ron. 
Well, when Sal Bandel passed away, uh, I remember that uh, in the summer I played against Chris Bandel, who, you know, ended up being a big league catcher for a little while, his younger brother. He actually was playing the infield then. Uh, Mm. He was playing, I think he went to Solon, but I forgot what the summer team was. It was a pretty good one of those. And uh, they converted him to catcher, I believe, in college. And sometimes that's the thing. You go to a guy and say, you know, you want to make, be in the pros, can you catch? Yep. We've seen it time and time again through the years, so. All right, Terry, this next one is from Brian mm. Amstutz from Ashland. He says, my senior year at Orville, we played Akron Hoban in basketball at their place. I was tasked with guarding Butch Reynolds, the tremendous 400-meter mm. runner. Luckily, he wasn't as good at basketball as he was at track, but yep. he was still pretty good. As time was running out, the score was tied. We had the ball, and we were trying to run down the clock for the last shot. A teammate tried to pass me the ball, and Butch seemingly came out of nowhere to make the steal and throw down a game-winning dunk as time expired. He was fast. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, you probably yeah. run into Butch Reynolds through the years, I'm guessing. Sure, right yeah. You sort of hate facing an Olympic athlete in any other sport, yeah, maybe except much. pool or something like that, where that swimming, I don't know. But if it's anything where you have to run around, uh, I'm going to bet on the Olympic guy. <laughs> All right, this next one is from Howard Tuttle. He's from St. Pete Beach, Florida. And Howard says, my brush with a famous athlete happened in the spring of 1967 when members of the Cleveland Stokers the Stoke City Football Club from Stoke-on-Trent, England, and powerhouse of the English Football League came to Cleveland to promote the upcoming inaugural season of the United Soccer Association. They were to play at the old Cleveland Stadium beginning in the summer of 1967. Stoke City's goalkeeper was the star of England's recent World Cup championship team, Gordon Banks. The Stokers showed up at our Gates Mills campus for drills and a scrimmage with our varsity soccer team. During one of the heading drills, I was able to sneak one past Mr. Banks, which mm. appeared on the evening on the WEWS 5 o'clock sports report. Well, there <laughs> you are. Howard Tuttle. So, yeah, I didn't think we'd get many soccer ones, but that well, one that's is a good one. one. Yeah. Um, let's see. This one is from Dave Bauer from Grove Hill, Ohio. He says, I played against a guy named Doug Bear in Little League who pitched for Pitcher. the Reds. You remember yep. him, huh, Terry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Cardinals. In our tournament for Little League, we faced them for the championship, and he and I both pitched for our teams. He could hit the ball a long way. And so my brother, who was the coach, had me walk him intentionally every time he came <laughs> back. <laughs> Do I have to tell you? He was not happy. I bet. For the last two times he Did came Did he say up- this was Little League? Yeah. That will not be allowed. <laughs> so And so Dave says, do I have to tell you that he was not happy? And so the last two times he came up to bat, he just leaned on his bat in the batter's <laughs> box. <laughs> it worked because we won the tournament, but I didn't make a friend that day. <laughs> no. And Doug Again, Bear probably still, probably still remembers it, too. <laughs> All right. This is the last one we'll get into today. And this one is from Greg Hill. And Greg says he was raised in Stowe, and he now lives in Atlanta. He says, hey, Terry. In 1981, I was practicing basketball in the university gym on the campus of Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, where I attended school. I was in the playoffs of my intramural league, and I needed some reps on the free throw line. In that day and age, there was nothing that you could attach to the rim that helped the ball come back to you after you shot. So down at the other free throw line, there was a guy doing the same thing I was. So I had the great idea of asking if if we could rebound for each other. He agreed. So I said, you get to shoot until you miss, and then we'll switch. It sounded like a great plan. He said I could start first. I started out hot as I hit eight free throws in a row and was feeling good about myself. He then proceeded to make 119 in a row. 
I know that because I started out counting as I wanted to see if he was going to beat my eight in a row. Well, his name was Brad Davis, and he ended up playing 15 years in the NBA, 12 with the Mavericks, and was a career 82.8 free throw shooter um, with a career high of 88.8 in 1984. Needless to say, I didn't do much shooting that day, but it was a cool experience. Wouldn't you know he was a rehabbing an injury and had a home next to the college? Love your uh, podcast. I wondered why he was there. Yep. I love your podcast, guys. And Terry, I absolutely love your columns and have since the late 1980s. So, well, thanks yeah, for Brad, that, Greg. Yeah, Brad Davis is good. The remarkable thing when you start hearing somebody just makes 50 or whatever in a row is, don't your arms get tired? You would think. but no, I mean, seriously. Because, you know, yeah. you could just easily be short or something. So, well, nobody was there to debate it. If he says it was 119 in a row, nobody else was probably <laughs> in the gym. It probably was. Yeah, who who was it who set the all-time um, – oh, my gosh, the guy from the Rockets, the little guard who I think he set the all-time – Calvin Murphy, throw. I believe. Calvin Murphy, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so that that's up in Calvin Murphy territory there when you're yeah. when you're making over 100 in a row. So, well, thanks for all those letters, everybody. Uh, if you like – we're going to keep this going. If we if we get some more in, we'll, we'll continue to read them. You can email those to us at sports at cleveland.com, and we will try and include them on an upcoming – podcast so. so what are our hey terry questions so let's go to those all right do you want to do those first or do you want to do that your faith column let's, let's, let's stick with the hey terry questions for okay now. we'll that'll go be, to the hey terry questions all right yeah. we have one here and this one is from larry dukes and he's from charlotte north carolina he says hey terry i read your columns for many years and appreciate your professionalism with cleveland sports and sharing your faith I've lived in Cleveland through 2000. I lived in Cleveland through 2005, and then my family and I migrated to Charlotte. I've always been a Browns and Indians and Guardians fan and Cavs. My question is: I'm very happy with the Browns hiring of Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator, since I feel that with the timing of the current roster, Kevin Stefanski has about two years to produce a winner in Cleveland. Will Schwartz's defensive schemes, using the wide nine concept and adding new players, be enough to turn the Browns around? I love the three-four defensive line, but I realize that the Browns have the guys not suited to that alignment. My three sons and I go to Browns Beckers events in Charlotte and are diehard fans. I look forward to a culture of winning in my lifetime. Thanks, Terry, for the ex- excellent articles and insights for all these years. So, I have two um, questions talk- for you. Yeah, go ahead. I have two yeah. questions for you, David. Is there any other kind of Brown besides Browns fan besides a diehard Browns fan? They are. All the diehard type. They I always, not, they always describe themselves as that. Yep, and then the true. secondly, when we talk about lifetime, exactly how many decades does our dear reader plan to live? I don't know, but we could ask him. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> These, we'll those are things that good. come up when I'm speaking at different places. Yeah. And I'll say, well, you know, okay, my lifetime. Like, well, how long do you plan to live? Uh, my mom, by the way, Malva, uh Hardison, the uh, 97-year-old African-American lady, my mom. T- today, Valentine's Day, is birthday number 97 for her. Wow! Congratulations. So we uh, we did our still did our walk around the nursing home there, and when she's like the, the star in their thing, and had her balloon. Uh, everybody's giving her happy um, uh, birthday balloons. She was just hoping nobody would shoot them down, and uh, so that was. Uh, no, it was a, we've had we had a nice morning with that. Is she She's a diehard a Browns fan? She could care less about the Browns. <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. There's no, nobody there in between. Is. You're either all in or you're yeah, not. No, so. she could care less. So she likes the Cavs, and she's a LeBron fan because remember, she is the one. LeBron's grandmother did her hair. 
That's right. At the house. That was a, that was a story there. <laughs> so Terry, I was talking about Jim Schwartz earlier. How do you feel? And do you think the Jim Schwartz era will be a success in Cleveland? Well, this is one of those, if it doesn't work with him, then you really have to wonder like, what are you doing? I'm serious. Is, is it is the roster really that poorly constructed? Is there something else going on here that's causing problems? Because I cannot think of a coordinator that came in here with more hype or a bigger reputation. You know, Lindy Infante back in the 80s as an offensive coordinator maybe, but that's it. I mean, nothing else pops to mind, uh, at least for me. And so that's, I think it's a, it's a possibility that he can do a lot. By the way, we did over the weekend, I did a kind of hate Terry Brown's questions, and a guy said he's worried about backup quarterbacks, which actually is sort of fun. It's always fun about that. So did you see my pick for who the Browns should get for their backup quarterback? I read it, but I don't remember. Who was it? Gardner Minshew. Ah, yes. Because, I mean, Jacoby's going to get a job somewhere, I think, as a starter. Um, And, yeah, Gardner Minshew, who's stuck behind Jalen Hurts. by the way, he played a lot against the Browns. Remember when the scrimmages they had with the with the Eagles? I came out of I didn't know they were going to the Super Bowl. I came out of there, and I remember I was telling a couple of people, they look pretty good, Philadelphia. Because at that point, I think they kind of – did they creep into the playoffs last year? I can't remember. But they were like 9-8 and eight or something. Nobody was talking about anything like this. And Minshew played uh, quite a bit and, and looked excellent. Now, maybe we go back and look in retrospect. So did a lot of other quarterbacks, including Joe Flacco. So, um, <laughs> but I, uh, I liked Minshew going back to Dallas to uh, Jacksonville, you know, kind of a Jacoby Brissett guy. His record is a losing record, but the stats are there. And I think, uh, I want to, I want a legitimate backup quarterback, Dave. I don't want Garrett Gilbert or somebody, you know, I want a real court because I don't know, um, Will Watson get hurt or what? I just I just like a guy back there that, that has a clue. Yeah, and some experience too. And and mm-hmm. he is an un- unrestricted free agent. So the Browns are obviously they don't have all their draft capital as they would usually have because of the Watson trade. So that's someone I'm sure they'll be looking at. So, all right, uh, Terry, do you have a book recommendation this week? What have you been reading? A book recommendation. So, um, well, one of the ones because I. It, I've had some people, it, all right, it's a bad self-plug. It's vintage Browns. and But here's <laughs> the reason why. Uh, because I've had people, they're down on the Browns and this. And then they go, oh, but yeah, even even when they were good, you had the drive, you had the fumble. I'm like, give me a break. That was really good times. And on top of it, they had a lot of good people on those teams. And so uh, really, I think to get – appreciation of them, whether it's um, go back and look at some old tapes of those games, not just the drive and the fumble, but some of the other ones, or just read about Bernie and Langhorn and all these, Deacon and all these different players, Sype, that whole 80s era. Um, That is the last time, by the way, the Browns have had back-to-back winning seasons. And they did it with guys that I think people still treasure. And so, granted, I always want to sell more books, but I also want people to have a greater appreciation of that part of uh, Brown's history. All right. And you can find all of Terry's books at terrypluto.com. And I know you have some more books on the way that you've been working on. So be adding to your list of accomplishments in the literary world. Well, that's 
that's pretty much it. I never talk about them until they're out because a lot of <laughs> now and then it's kind of like a trade you think you had made, and then all of a sudden something happens. So yeah, there's no paper to be had, for example. No. Yeah. So, um, Let's see. I want a couple other plugs here. If you'd like to subscribe to cleveland.com, we would love to have you helping support journalism. And as I always say, the easiest way to do that is just go to cleveland.com slash Browns and click on the blue banner at the top. You get all kinds of cool stuff. Texting with our reporters who cover the team, a daily newsletter, and uh, that's a good way to get all that stuff. So, And if you want to send us a Hey Terry question or some kind of a tale of you playing against a notable athlete, we'll continue to do those. Just send it to sports at cleveland.com and put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line, and we will try and get it on here. So I think that's it, Terry. We good? In honor of Les Levine, I'm going to say it of all the podcasts we've ever done, this is the most recent. There we go. A fitting way to end it. We'll catch you all next week on Terry's Talking.